It's another edition of the Making Money Show with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. Ron, we've started looking at how the average investor, somebody who sits down in front of their computer and looks at, you know, maybe finds a stock that they're kind of fancy on and they do a little bit of homework and then they decide to buy it. We've, we've heard them called day traders and I've heard stories over the years of people I know who do it. Oh, I'm doing so well but you'd really like to know what the truth is in that regard. But nonetheless, there's a lot of that going on out there now. So how does the little guy get to compete with these big investment firms that we talked about in the last episode that have all this research and all these algorithms and people that are looking at it and moving money and doing it in huge blocks? How do you compete? Well, let's take a look at the three bedrock principles of how the big institutions work. And we'll look at the success rate of each one of these strategies to see how successful it really is. The first one is market timing, which is the skill of being able to interpret economic and market signals that will tell you in advance when the market is going up and when you should be invested and when the stock market is going down and when you should be on the sidelines or selling. So they call it technical analysis, they call it AI, they call it algorithmic trading. There's a lot of different ways to describe it, but basically you're trying to figure out the opportune time to get in and the opportune time to get out. And the second one is selecting the investment winners. I guess in baseball terms, Gord, we call it swinging for the fence. You know, when you've got- At the home run. Yeah, the yeah. home run. You're looking for the pitch and you're trying to put lots of wood on the leather yeah. and knock it over the fence. And of course, by doing that, you're looking for those companies that are undiscovered gems and then buying those shares in them before they experience an enormous upward price movement. And I mean, we've all probably been on the 19th hole after a golf game and after one of the guys you've been golfing with has had a few, he's telling you about the one that he's just invested in that's yeah. going to Mars and you should invest in it too. Absolutely, yeah. And does this work? Well, we'll be talking about that and I'll be surprising you with some of the facts that I've been able to dig up on how effective this strategy is. And of course, institutions are always saying that they have an information edge from all the research produced by investment firms on Bay Street. So they not only do their own research, but they get other research. They're able to have contact with the creme de la creme of the business world, of CEOs and chief financial officers. They have dozens of analysts. And that should give them, you'd think, a huge advantage. But I think you'll be surprised that it doesn't always work out that way. And so we'll just march into our first story and first bit of research. The first study I want to look at is a group called Dalbar. Now this is a company that for the last 23 years has put out a report comparing how the average equity fund investor has done, Joe Average or Jane Average, comparing that to the Standard & Poor's 500 index, which is the 500 stocks in that particular index, just buying all 500 of them in a basket. And this is the index that's most often used to gauge the performance of the broad US stock market over long periods of time because it represents 500 of America's most influential companies. 
Now, according to Dalbar's numbers over the last 30 years, so this is not a short-term study, Gordon. It's 30 years, yeah. Yeah, this is three decades worth of data. The S&P 500 has averaged 10.16% per year over the period, whereas the average equity or stock fund investor managed to eke out an annual compound return of 398 so they're picking and choosing from the S&P 500. The whole basket of the S&P 500 is going up over 10%. Their select picks are only going up a little over three. Yeah, and generally it's because they're trading a lot. They're, they're thinking, well, markets are high right now. I'm going to get out and I'll wait till they go low. And so by going in and out and in and out and in and out, in other words, market timing, you find that if you just bought and hold, you would have done much better and that's comparing just a buy and hold strategy for the average investor. Now let's put this in dollar terms. If you put $100,000 and you invested in the S&P 500 for 30 years, it'd be worth 1.8 million. Actually, $1,822,711. Over three, that 30 year period. Yeah, three decades okay. later. The average equity investor, because they got greedy and bought when the stock market was at record highs and then typically became terrified and sold everything right at the market bottoms, only managed to grow that original 100000 over three decades into $324,474. That's a difference in performance of one and a half million bucks. Now, that is unbelievable. That is a shocking statistic. That's a big number. Now, if the average investor, instead of trying to trade the market, had just put their money in one-year U.S. government bonds for 30 years, the amount would have grown at 3.99% per year or would have grown to $323,405 over 30 years, and that is still $931 more over the same period with zero risk and aggravation. So... Guys that try to trade, often they'd be better off taking a cold shower, putting their money in the bond market, and going and playing around a golf. Just forget about it. Just forget about it. Now, what gets investors off on the wrong track is that nobody performs well 100% of the time. According to Ned Davis Advisors, in the decade of the 2000s, 79% of portfolio managers who were in the top quartile of performance over that 10-year period spent at least three years in the bottom performance quartile along the way. So even the best managers didn't have a straight line of performance. They had times when they did well. They had times when they didn't do so well. And if you gave up on them and jumped somewhere else, that would impede your performance. Now, even as pathetic as small investors are at timing the market, the big guys really don't do any better. And this is the classic bet. We've all heard the bet where Warren Buffett bet a million dollars with a company called Protege Partners, LLC. Warren Buffett said, look, let's over a decade sue who gets the best return. I'll buy a Vanguard fund which buys the s and all 500 of the S&P stocks. Protégé Partners picks funds of funds. Now what these are, these are individuals who go out and find individual managers to manage a pool of capital that they have underneath them. Now they look at the performance, if somebody underperforms, they get rid of them and they replace them with somebody who's better. So you'd figure these five fund of fund managers would be able to pick the creme de la creme of Wall Street, you'd think. 
But if you look at the results over 10 years, frankly, the S&P 500 fund, Club Projet Partners, they got absolutely walked. At the end of the 10-year bet, Warren Buffett's S&P 500 index was up 125% versus 36% for the five actively managed portfolios of head funds picked by protege partners. That's almost three and a half times the return for less activity and way less expenses. The typical hedge fund charged 2% per year plus 20% of the profits, whereas the hedge fund Warren Buffett, or not hedge fund, but the S&P fund that Warren Buffett picked had a miserly management expense ratio of four one hundredths of one percent per year. So he just absolutely wiped the floor with these guys. Completely wiped the floor with them. Now I realize that these two examples were over different periods of time and different market conditions, but they do show that whether you're a pro or not, that your ability to anticipate where the markets are going and anticipate accordingly and invest accordingly is non-existent and that in both cases the market timer suffered an enormous performance penalty by trying to do so. The S&P 500 outperformed Joe Average Investor in the Dalbar study by two and a half times. Warren Buffett with his S&P 500 ETF he outperformed the hedge fund basket by three and a half times. The translation here is market timing as a strategy is not that good. No matter who uses it. No matter who uses it. I mean, you've got some pretty smart people here. We're not talking about uh, somebody you found in the park to run a portfolio for you. These are the best you can find. And Warren Buffett, by just putting money in a static fund over a decade, beat them soundly. Well, he's not called the world's most successful investor for no good reason, I suppose. Now, what about swinging for the fence? Like, that's the one that you... We all dream about that. Like you say, you've, you've played a round of golf. Hey, I've got a hot stock tip for you. Maybe you should get into this and come along for the ride. I, I don't know how many of those I've heard in my lifetime. You've heard a lot more, obviously. And so few of them actually come to fruition, it seems. So swinging for the fence is like going into one of those haunted houses that you often hear about. You go in at night and you're looking around for the ghost and you never sort of see it. <laughs> the same thing is true in investing. Hit, swinging for the fence does happen, but it doesn't happen very often. According to a study by Cliff Asnes at AQR Capital, over the last two decades preceding 2016, the top 10 performing stocks in each year were responsible for 4.1% of the S&P's total return for any given year. And between 1995 and 2015, the S&P 500 averaged 9.14%. So literally, the 10 best performing stocks in any given year were responsible for half the performance of the index over that period of time. And if you took out the top 10 of that, and that performance drops to 5% per year. So the chance of you annually picking the 10 stocks out of the 26,000 that trade in the U.S. to get half your returns every year, that's pretty slim. I mean, we're talking lottery ticket odds. You have so many studies. There's one from ASU that sort of Henrik, what's his name? Bessenbinder? Bessenbinder. I, yeah. I, I had to, before we got on the air, I had to say Bessenbinder, Bessenbinder, Bessenbinder <laughs> about five times. He did a study at Arizona State University, and he sifted through 90 years of U.S. stock market history, nine decades, and found that less than 4% or 
or if you break it down, that's 1,040 stocks of the 26,000 stocks listed on American exchanges were responsible for all of the $32 trillion in profit created by the equity markets between 1926 and 2015. So only 4% of all the stocks were responsible for virtually all of the profits over that period of time. He further noted that 58% of all these companies returned less over time than just putting your money in treasury bills. And 38% of the 26,000 stocks produced decent but not remarkable returns. So like you say, a 1,000 shares, basically, out of 20. So that means like there's 25,000 out there that are kind of dragging their feet. That's about it. Now, two things we can learn from this. First of all is that picking stocks that are going to produce home runs is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. In other words, low odds, high risk. Second thing we learn is that if 38% of this universe of 26,000 stocks produce decent returns, then why not just to build a portfolio of quality names and let them compound and do the work for you. So, you know, if there's 38% of all the stocks, and most of us should be able to find those stocks that just sort of plod along and give you decent returns. And that's where you need to be looking. Now, let's get into the research part of it. So that's the third of the big three that the institutions tend to look at. According to uh, Richardson GMP, they looked between 2007 and 2017, the stocks that had the least buy recommendations by Canada's investment community, and they found that they outperformed those that had the most buy recommendations by 2.1 times. Buying the industry's top picks doesn't seem to statistically give institutions a performance edge. In fact, what seems to work is buying the securities that are the least loved and the ones that have the least buy recommendations by the street and all the analysts out there. So here again, it's just one of those things where just because there's a lot of buying recommendations on something, it doesn't mean it's going to go up. Most portfolio managers' uh, pay and job tenure is not determined by what we call absolute returns, or put another way, how much profit did the manager make for his clients in any given year. It's determined by how well they performed against their peers. So the markets were down 35%, Gordon, you were down 30, you'd probably get a raise. Markets were down 35%, and you were down 45, you'd probably lose your job. So they tend to think, and how well did they do against everyone else? Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at my statement, I don't care if the market's down 40 and I'm down 35. I'm choked. Individual investors tend to look at absolute returns. It's just a simple binary outcome. Did I make money or did I lose money? And so you have to look at investors that are institutional versus the way you and I think because we think a lot differently. We think in absolute terms, did I make money or did I lose money? And that's what we're going to try and get into on the next show. We're going to show you how to get the best returns you can with the least possible risk. And for most of that, we call that the holy grail. All right. Well, that'll be the next episode. So this is how you, sitting at your computer terminal, if you want to do your own investing, maybe using a discount brokerage firm or whatever, you want to have as much ammunition or as many arrows in your quiver as you can. So we'll cover that off on the next episode. Ron Hebert is the financial coach. I'm Gord Whitehead. The show is called Making Money. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. 
Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.